It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. that this is the same guy that missed 23 straight threes. And now he can't miss the ocean. Welcome into the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. We are back, everybody. Uh, new time slot, obviously, 10 a.m. to noon on Saturdays. And my name is Jay Catch, the host here. And we'll have a I guess we'll call it a cavalcade of different people that will be joining us. Eric back in studio in Salt Lake City. I am in Provo at JCW's. Uh, we will have BYU pre- and post-game coverage live from here at this phenomenal restaurant coming up. Uh, beginning at 1230, just kind of heads up for you. Uh, we'll get you ready for BYU and their senior day as they take on Idaho State this afternoon at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So consider this, I guess, the pre pre-game show in a way. But, Eric, what's up, my friend? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Jake? I'm not not too bad. It's obviously football season. We're in the month of November. Uh, Utah coming off a huge win last night, absolutely dominant win. I know you were working on that last night, 52-7. to We'll dig into that a little bit later on. We'll let you hear from Kyle Whittingham as well as his players after that absolute curb stomping by the Utes in Palo Alto. Also mentioned, we'll get you ready for BYU. We also need to talk about Utah State. They are headed to Las Cruces, New Mexico, to take on New Mexico State today. So some fun games ahead. We'll also talk about the Utah Jazz and 
we're just very excited to have the Saturday show back. Let's just put it that way. And we've been having a lot of fun with this. And I uh, wanted to also highlight the fact that we have a new title sponsor of the Saturday show. Eric, we're, we're getting big time here, bud. We're actually got people like, you know, wanting to associate with us professionally. Money. I like money. We, we like money, yes. Money is always a good thing. So our presenting sponsorship is our friends over at Mountainland Supply. One of my ideas, it's where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC, parts, tools, and safety equipment. You can find a location near you at mountainland.com. There are mountainlands everywhere. Let's be real. I've, I've seen a number of them. I've been to a number of them. I know Hans and Scotty have done a number of remotes at different locations. Uh, so love the fact that Mountainland Supply is on board with us here on the Saturday show and can't thank them enough. Also, if you guys are out and about on this Saturday morning, it's typically Saturday afternoon when we've done this show, but Saturday morning, they could get some free jazz gear. Well, Megan hooked it up. There's plenty of gear sitting out here, a lot of jazz. You got jazz hats, jazz T-shirts, even playoff shirts from last year. If you want those orange or yellow shirts from last year's playoffs, stop by, grab some gear, and get some food while you're at it. Love our friends JCWs. Thank you to them for allowing us to take up residence here for essentially the entire day because I already mentioned we're doing BYU pre- and post-game here, doing the Saturday show down here, but we're going to have some fun with that. But let's get things going here. And I know, Eric, you're very familiar with our format here on the show because you kind of helped build it. Uh, we took a little hiatus. And uh, Alex Lundberg no longer with the station, so my typical co-host has moved on to – greener pastures and wish him nothing but the best but we'll still continue to carry on a lot of things we started building with him on board but eric you were along for the ride as well and you know how we start things up so let's get to it let's talk about what's the big deal do you know who i am no i i can't say that i do i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal really people know me well, i'm very happy for you I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> uh, there you go. That's one of the best opens, and one of the best sequences in like cinematic history, in my opinion. Uh, your your opinions, everybody out there, may differ on Anchorman. I understand that, but that sequence right there, so funny. I was dying the first time I saw it. It still makes me chuckle every time we play it. But let's start off with this. University of Utah uh, takes a stranglehold, I feel like, of the Pac-12 South Division. They played a cross-division game last night in Palo Alto against Stanford. And this game was stunningly uncompetitive. Utah raced out to a 38-0 lead in the first half. Tavion Thomas was running roughshod. Uh, Utah for the night, and if I'm not mistaken, I saw this on Twitter last night, they had a net yard rushing of 441 yards. It is the most rushing yards in the Kyle Whittingham era at the University of Utah, and you can think of some of the high-powered rush attacks that he's had during his time as the head coach of the Utes, but last night was another level. Three players over 100 yards rushing, led by Tavion Thomas. He had the uh, four touchdowns in the first half, 20 carries for 177 yards. Makai Bernard, uh, they really just, Thomas was in a, a reserve role the rest of the game after the first half. Makai Bernard comes in, 12 carries for 110 yards and a touchdown. And then TJ Pledger sets the program record for the longest run from scrimmage, a 96 yard sprint right up the gut. 
He has four carries. that goes for 107 yards and one touchdown. So six touchdowns on the ground, as we mentioned, 441 yards rushing at halftime. And, Eric, you were working on this game. I'm sure you saw this. Utah had more points, 38, than Stanford had in total yards gained, 28. Yeah, quite frankly, it was one of the most dominant rushing performances I've ever seen a football team have, period. I would agree with you on that. Uh, Cam Rising, a very pedestrian night, uh, considering uh, how dominant Utah was. He was 13 of 22 for 140 yards. He didn't need to do much. He also ran the ball uh, fairly effectively. He had uh, three carries, a total net of minus one yards. I believe he took one sack, if I'm not mistaken, in the game. But this was a game, it was over at halftime. The second half was just a bunch of sitting around and saying, okay, well, let's just move this thing along. I know that Stanford did score a touchdown on their opening drive of the second half, and uh, Utah then punted. Their first punt of the night came on their next drive there, and I I tweeted out, uh, it was tongue-in-cheek. I said, well, Stanford scores, Utah punts. I said, comeback is dot, 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 on? (laughs) It was just... It was a dominant, dominant performance for Utah. And they now, as it stands right now, Utah is sitting at 6-3, and 5-1 and one in the Pac-12. They have games remaining against both Colorado and Arizona, as well as a big date with Oregon, which at this juncture sure looks like it's going to be a preview of the Pac-12 title game in early December down there in Las Vegas. Now, obviously Utah could stumble here, but I am wholly... Uh, thinking that they are going to uh, clinch the Pac-12 South Division title. They really only need two more wins. And you've got the games against Arizona and Colorado, who are very much down this year. Arizona, just awful. And Colorado shouldn't be much uh, to, to do about anything. So Utah, for all intents and purposes, is headed to the Pac-12 championship game. It's not locked in. I understand that. But if I was a Utah fan today, I would tell you guys, if you have any aspirations of going to watch the Utes play in Las Vegas, we'll start making your travel arrangements right now because it sure looks like Utah is on their way to Las Vegas and they will be playing in the Pac-12 title game. That, by the way, is absolutely stunning considering many of you remember, and Eric, you were, you were, you've been along for the ride this entire time. I know that you cover Utah closely for both the Daily Chronicle as well as our station. You can think back to the the pre like not not the preseason the non conference slate for Utah. They were sitting at one and two with huge question marks. Is the quarterback situation settled? Is the offensive line able to get out of their own way? And this has been a stunning turnaround over the past month and a half. Yeah, quite frankly, the offensive line turnaround has been incredible. They went from a liability to a real strength and probably the number one part of the team. I mean, a lot can be said about the running backs, but these guys are getting huge holes, and that line is getting such good push when they run the ball. They still struggle a little bit in pass protection here and there, but I think that Kyle Whittingham made an adjustment about four games into the season and said, hey, we, we tried this whole let's be a bombs away passing offense. We tried letting our quarterback sit, sit back there, and he was frankly just getting killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, you know, let's go back to what works. And for Kyle Whittingham, that has been running the ball 30 to 40, 50 times a game and giving your running backs lots of touches and letting your offensive line run forward instead of run backward. Well, and that, that's the thing about it, Eric, is 
we all know that Kyle Whittingham, his MO is if he can run the ball and he can run it effectively, that's what he prefers. He, he wants a team that can control the ground game, control the line of scrimmage, and just control the overall tempo and pace of a game. And that's what we've seen over the past month or so. That offensive line has really become that quote-unquote metronome that just allows Utah to operate efficiently. I think also the insertion of... Cam Rising is the starting quarterback down there in Carson, California, when they took on San Diego State in that second half. I know he didn't rally them to the victory. They lost in overtime, and overtime rules be what they are. Those need to be changed. That's just my opinion. But he he rallied that team, and he gave them new life on offense. And his insertion in the starting lineup, he was the guy, he is the guy, and he probably should have been the guy from the get-go. I do understand still that why Utah went about with the whole uh, situation involving – the quarterback, the quarterback battle in fall camp because they didn't necessarily know that Cam Rising was going to be as healthy as he was coming into training camp. He made a very quick recovery from shoulder surgery, and credit to him for getting back, getting himself in shape. But uh, PK is very fond of saying this because he uh, has been a broken record, and I will back him up on this. He has been saying since uh, fall camp essentially started that Cam Rising should be the guy at quarterback for Utah, and. I know that they decided to go other places, but the, the thing about it is you look at how different, how dynamic this offense looked once they put Cam Rising into this lineup. And, Eric, you talked about the fact that the turnaround of this offensive line. Well, I think a lot of that is they, they had a lot of times when players, and I've talked to enough of them in my time in the media, that if, when you believe in a guy, you play harder for them. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that they didn't believe in anybody else outside of Cam Rising, but it sure seems like when he entered the lineup, that, that offense, that offensive line in particular, they went to another level. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting point to make. But I, I just really think the other thing that stands out to me is Cam Rising and Charlie Brewer are just two very different styles of quarterback. Sure. Uh, Cam Rising is much more mobile. He's able to buy more time with his legs, and I think that has really helped. And he gets the ball out much quicker than I, Charlie Brewer did, to be quite honest with you. He's much more reticent to take the um, the short pass instead of going for the home run ball all the time. And I think that helps the offensive line a lot. And I think uh, another thing that can be said here is Charlie Brewer – when he played, he was playing a little bit of hero ball, I want to say. And Cam Rising can fit in with the system. Like, he can have these huge games like he had against UCLA, mm-hmm. like he had against Oregon State where he passes the ball extremely efficiently. And he can have games like this where he throws the ball 20 times or less and just manages the offense. And I think that's just a huge advantage to have a quarterback that can really go with a flow like that. Well, yeah, and having guys who are adaptable, that's kind of what you're getting at, is a guy like Cam Rising, he is more than happy to be that quote-unquote game manager in a game like last night, so long as his team wins. He talks all the time, and he, he, it's kind of funny to hear his interviews. He's always talking about playing with swagger, and this is a team playing with swagger right now. They've racked up a 5-1 and conference record after a 1-2 and start to their uh, season in the non-conference. They have completely flip the script on its head, and they are getting ready to have a run here in November that I am very much looking forward to. That showdown with Oregon, yes, there there is going to be a big question mark. 
There's going to be a big yeah, question mark about uh, what's going to happen with that Oregon matchup, and we'll break that down as it gets a little bit closer. But the, the good news is if you're a Utah fan, as I said, for all intents and purposes, if you have any aspirations of going to Las Vegas to enjoy that Pac-12 championship game down there at Legion Stadium, I'd say start making, the, making your plans to do so. And that is our signal to transition here. So let's uh, switch gears and talk, uh, give some equal time to BYU. They are going to be taking on Idaho State today on Senior Day at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Crazy as a thing to think, but early November, BYU is having their uh, Senior Day today when they take on the Bengals out of the big sky. And this is an interesting uh, matchup in the sense that we don't know exactly who is going to be on BYU's roster next year? And Eric, go with me for a moment here. If you look at BYU's roster currently, they have three, count them, three seniors on this squad. They have Uriah Leatawa, a defensive lineman, Jared Capisi, a reserve defensive back, and then Samson Nakua, the graduate transfer from the University of Utah. They are the only three players amongst 123 players on BYU's roster currently who are out of eligibility and will not be able to return and play next year. Now, do I expect BYU to bring back 120 players of their 123? Absolutely not. The interesting part will be today how many guys are honored on senior day. And what I'm talking about is these COVID juniors, as I like to term them. We all know that COVID froze eligibility for all these players. So I'm thinking of guys like a Neil Pau, like a Gunnar Romney, along that offensive line, Joe Tukuafu, James Empey. Guys who would be seniors in normal circumstances and may be thinking, okay, it's time to move on and do something different here, whether it's to go and play in the NFL, hopefully, or just move on with life. I think today is going to be interesting to see how many guys are honored versus how many guys of those guys who were honored actually end up back on the roster next year. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting uh, to see play out. But senior day is always, you know, a fun day to be around a program. Of course, everybody's it's just kind of a party. And I mean, yeah. you, you really couldn't ask for a better opponent, to be quite honest with you, than Idaho State. It's the perfect senior day opponent. Now, obviously, the players aren't saying this. The coaches aren't saying this. This is purely Eric Jensen saying this. Okay. Idaho State is a cupcake. Well, yes, they, they are going to get run out of the building today. And it's a perfect senior day matchup for BYU. It should be a lot of fun for Cougar, for the Cougars and Cougar fans. Well, and that's the thing, Eric. You're you're not wrong in that. I actually have got your back on that because this is a one in seven Idaho State team. They uh, got absolutely clobbered by Weber State last week. BYU in this game, as is typical of most FCS opponent uh, FCS opponents at the, F- at the FBS level, in the case of BYU or a high level program like they are, because they're ranked fifteenth currently. This is a game you should be able to name your score. You want to score 45? Score 45. You want to score 63? Score 63. Because you're right. In one sense, it's the perfect opponent because you're going to be able to have a lot of guys get a lot of action. Guys in reserve roles. Think of a guy. So Jared Capisi, for example. Very few people know his name. He also goes by EC. Is his, uh, I guess also his other name he uses uh, ubiquitously along with Jared He's a guy who had a decent role on last year's team, but this year has not played very much at all. This is a great game for him in his final home game uh, for BYU Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Run out to a big lead and then let him play as much as he so desires because he should be able to go man-to-man with any of the players on Idaho State's roster, and it gives him an opportunity to just enjoy his senior day, get a lot of playing time, and then 
hopefully sail off into the sunset after this season, feeling good about his time playing for the Cougars. So it's just it's a very interesting matchup in that sense, and that's what we're going to see today. Uh, so if you want to watch that game, it's going to be on BYU TV, also streaming on ESPN three. This is the annual game that BYU TV and their contract, BYU football and their contract with ESPN. It's contracted to be televised on BYU TV. By and large, most of BYU's other home games, especially this year, uh, when you had all those Power Five opponents coming through Utah, Arizona State. Uh, Virginia will have we're going to see USC at the end of the year but the home games in particular BYU's been featured prominently they've been on ABC they've been on ESPN last week they were on ESPN 2 in that absolute shootout against Virginia and Eric I don't know if you saw this but earlier this week uh, so College Hoops is on its way and uh, the men's basketball program from BYU played Colorado Christian University and Nothing notable about uh, CCU, as they uh, call themselves, except for the fact that BYU football on their own last week in that game against Virginia, well, them and the Cavaliers actually outscored BYU men's basketball against Colorado Christian earlier this week. Ooh, I don't know what to think about that. It's kind of funny. It, just, it was one of those unique things, because BYU put up 66 points in uh, football last week. Their basketball team only 63 points in their exhibition opener. So it was just it was a funny joke that was running on the internet. It's like, so, so should the BYU football program be playing basketball? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. A, a, a real part of me is worried, but I know it's an exhibition game. Sure. And I know Mark Pope's a really great coach, but you should be scoring more than 63 points against CCU. They, I would, I would agree with you. They got a really slow start. They actually trailed as late as I think the, I think it was about ten minutes to go in the first half. They were still trailing in that game. They got a very, very slow start in that one. I, I'm with you, Eric. You would think, okay, this is a program, a Division two program coming in here for an exhibition. Let's blitz them. BYU did run away in the second half. Had something like a 21 to four run to open things up, and they cruised to a 15 point victory. But it was just one of those things. It's like, okay, the the football program can outscore you. What what are you doing here? But Today is a day that BYU, if they want to put up another 66 points, they could do it. And it's nothing against Idaho State. It's just this is the number 15 team in the country per the college football playoff rankings. They should go out there, name their score, uh, let guys like Tyler Algier and Jaron Hall play a quarter or two, play the first half maybe, and then say, okay, your afternoon's over. We're going off these other guys. Let Baylor Romney, let Lopini Katoa. Uh, even some of the other reserve running backs that a lot of BYU fans have been hoping to see this year, give them their opportunity to get get out there and play. The the other uh, factor in this for BYU is that number 15 ranking. And, Eric, I, I kind of want your take on this. We got the initial debut of the college football playoff rankings earlier this week. We can dig more into just kind of the overall rankings here in a little bit. But what did you make of BYU actually checking in in the college football playoff rankings higher than they were in either the AP or the coaches poll this week? Well, it just makes me, to be completely honest with you, disappointed with the way college football is structured for independence. Okay. Because, sure, they're 15 in the nation, but both of us know, even if they win out, they are not making it to the college football playoffs. Well, they're not making the playoffs, you no. Know. But I just feel so, I feel so bad for BYU because it's been such a fun team and so good throughout the year and, and, and so dominant in some of their performances. And just because they lose one game to Boise State, basically, they're resigned to the Independence Bowl. 
they're well, gonna see, play. But, but, yeah, a ten and two season is gonna result in you likely playing UAB. Like, what? What? Why is that the way this is set up? I just feel like it's so disappointing for BYU and their fans. And as someone who likes to watch the program, like I do, I really want to see them get challenged. I want to see them play a big time opponent. And I think a ten and two team deserves to play someone better than the champion of Conference USA. Well, and see, the, 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 in this individual circumstance with regards to the bullet access, the Big 12 can't get here fast enough because you're, you're right, Eric. As it stands right now, BYU currently contracted to play in the, I think they're calling it the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. Obviously, if BYU continues to win out, and I don't think there's any reason they shouldn't win out, they should be 10-2 and at the end of this regular season. I think the really only the question mark is how motivated will USC be on Thanksgiving weekend down there in the Coliseum. But the this current situation, yes, BYU currently contracted to play in that uh, Independence Bowl. There is an opportunity potentially for them, I guess, barring uh, – well, it, let me, be, let me back up on this. There is an opportunity for them to potentially play in what used to be called the Cactus Bowl. I think it's got some sponsor name. It's played in Tempe, Arizona at the baseball park the Diamondbacks call home. If the Big Ten uh, is unable to fill their bowl obligations, have enough teams bowl eligible, there is a machination in BYU's current contracts with the way the bowls are structured. They could end up playing in that game. I, there's a lot of different things that have to play out for that to happen. But also, the other thing exists here, Eric, and I, I'm with you. There, there's no chance BYU is going to the college football playoff. I, they're, they're a two-loss team already, so uh, we've never seen a two-loss team make the college football playoff field. But the, under the current structure, if BYU is inside the top 12 at the end of the season, so they essentially have to move up four spots from where they sit currently, or excuse me, three spots from where they sit currently at 15, they would be, therefore, eligible to play in a New Year's Six Bowl game. Does that mean they're guaranteed that? Absolutely not. But if they're inside the top 12 on what they call, I guess they call it Decision Sunday or whatever they call it there in early December, there is a possibility that the College Football Playoff Committee could say, okay, this is a good BYU team. They're ranked in the top 12. Let's send them to the Fiesta Bowl. Let's send them to the Peach Bowl. Let them play against a big-name opponent. And there are a lot of BYU fans out there who I think hope that is ultimately their fate, but it is far, far from guaranteed. Yeah, I feel like that's a crapshoot. It and is. It, it is yeah. a crapshoot. That's exactly it. I I don't know. I feel like this is where, and, and a lot of people, I think this is the weakest spot of this job for me, is I get okay. so bothered by national perceptions. But in cases like this, they do matter because yeah. the, the college football playoff committee is going to be more likely to take a team that's not BYU and put them in the New York Six Bowl than take BYU, even if they're ranked in the top 12, which they should be by the end of the year if things hold as, as they are. USC should be enough to bump you up two or three spots. I, I just – that's the part that bothers me is the fact that there is – a West Coast bias, that uh, you know, an East or an East Coast bias. I guess okay, I East Coast say. bias, not West Coast. I guess, East I, Coast. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should say, and it it just it bugs me. I I, I just feel like 
programs like BYU work hard. They have worked really hard to become a nationally relevant program, which they are right now. And this is, I would say, the peak of BYU over the past four or five years. This is the highest they've been. They just had a quarterback go number two in the NFL draft, and then they followed it up with this season, which has been very impressive, where they've taken care of almost all except one of their Power 5 opponents thus far. I just feel like they're going to get jobbed out of this by, because they're BYU. Oh, it, it very well could be that. But the, the one thing, BYU, I think, got a measure of respect to the fact that they checked in at 15. But there is a lot of questions still to be uh, monitored there. So we'll dig more into this as today's show progresses. Coming up here in just a moment, we'll talk, switch over and talk some Utah Jazz basketball. Later on in today's show, Brian Brown going to join us, my good friend, uh, co-host of the Lockdown Utes podcast, a former member of the Zone family. We'll chat with him about the Utah win last night. So a whole lot more to get to ahead on today's Saturday show, brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Well, I've taken a couple guys out, but not, not Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> I believe in him. You know, I mean, I think that's part of, you know, when someone believes in you, the moments where you may have some doubt, you don't. And I thought in the first half, I think he was 0 for 5 from 3. He got one late clock with like two seconds in the shot clock. They call it 0 for 4 and thought they were good looks. That's who he is. There's a couple of sequences in the Milwaukee game where he just threw himself into other parts of the game. I think that's the most important thing. If somebody's not making shots and they're going inward and feeling sorry for themselves, you can be frustrated, but when it impacts other parts of your game, you know, that's different. There's a confidence that he has in himself and he and I have a little bit of a connection in that regard. Welcome, Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Jay Catch, Eric Jensen along for the ride. We are live this morning at JCW's in Provo, the Plumtree Shopping Center. We'll have the Cougar pre- and post-game show live from here later on this afternoon. But we got plenty of jazz gear for you guys. If you're trying to get an early start on your lunch or on your way to the BYU game, stop by. We got some jazz gear sitting here. Megan is more than happy to hook you guys up and... We love talking all things sports here on the Saturday show. We just talked a lot of college football about the Utes and the Cougars. Let's talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. They are off to a 7-1 and start this season. And uh, anybody who watched that game against Atlanta the other night uh, can point exactly to Jordan Clarkson, who we just heard the Quinn Snyder talking about, as a reason why BYU turned things around in that game. Because his turnaround in that game and his turnaround just in terms of the overall start to the season he had has been a kind of evidence of, be, of how the Jazz have gotten things going. Anybody who watched the Atlanta game can remember that first and second quarter. Both teams couldn't hit the broadside of the barn seemingly. Uh, just It was ugly, ugly basketball. But in the second half, Jordan Clarkson, he got himself going a little bit. He ends up scoring 30 points in that victory over the Hawks. A marvelous performance overall for him. 10 of 19 from the field. And they played without uh, Donovan Mitchell, who sat out due to a sprained ankle. And I completely understand the Utah Jazz making sure that he is fully healthy before they put him back on the court. 
But when you can go and beat an Atlanta Hawks team who nearly uh, made a run to the NBA Finals, they were very, very good last year. And you can beat them by 18 in their house. That's very, very impressive when you don't have uh, you don't have Jordan, uh, not Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell in the lineup. Jordan Clarkson, as I mentioned, came off the bench, went four of ten uh, from three-point range, which is kind of the area that a lot of Utah Jazz fans have pointed to as him struggling. As a team, the Jazz in that win over Atlanta were 17 of 41, 41 and a half percent from beyond the arc. A better shooting night for the team. They turned it around in the second half, and as I mentioned, Jordan Clarkson was a key reason why. He was plus 29. I know that plus minus is not a perfect indication of how games go, but Jordan Clarkson, in this case, plus 29 in his 31 minutes on the court. Very, very impressive for him, and this is a, an interesting circumstance because you heard Quinn Snyder say we've got a unique connection with one another. Jordan Clarkson, everything I've heard about him, guys like Joe Ingles have said that he is one of a kind. And I think anybody who has seen him and how he kind of operates in his life understand that. This is a guy who was featured at Fashion Week. Uh, he's all about fashion. Apparently he's got just an absolutely extraordinary wardrobe. And it's just... He's a unique, unique individual, and I really have enjoyed his interviews, and I'm doing a little production on the air here. I know Eric uh, is back in the studio here. There's a quote uh, from that postgame after Atlanta. Jordan essentially kind of talking about the opposite side, his relationship with Quinn Snyder and the love he's felt. And Eric, if you pop in my ear, if you're able to find that quote, I know we, we pulled it. I pulled it for tomorrow, yesterday's show with DJ and PK for uh, David Locke, but it, it this is a unique team, speaking of the Utah Jazz, is because they are a team that gets along very, very well. And Eric, on the spot. All right, let's, so I want, to, I want to play this clip from Jordan Clarkson because I think it speaks to the unique nature of this Utah Jazz team that I don't think exists very often in professional sports, if at all. So here's Jordan Clarkson uh, talking about his struggles, but what it has meant to have the support of his teammates. I don't know, man. It's moon stars. I don't know. Some lined up where, you know, we are very connected mentally. And, you know, sometimes he don't even have to say anything to me. He kind of gives me a look and I kind of already know what he's saying. But, you know, I trust him more than anything. I trust him, you know, game plans. Whatever he says is like trumps everything in the world. So when he's telling you to keep going, keep shooting, and he's telling that to everybody down the line and he's uh, putting that trust in each one of us, you know, he's a great person and a great coach and he wants to win and, you know, trying to get it done. See, and that's the thing right there is they tell him to keep shooting because we all know when Jordan Clarkson, uh, they call him the human torch. I, I guess that's what I call him. I, there are other people out there have other nicknames for him, uh, the blowtorch, whatever. When he gets going, when he is on his game, the Utah Jazz are very, very good. And he's the reigning sixth man of the year in the NBA for a reason, a guy who has just uh, been a big part of what the Utah Jazz do on offense since the moment he arrived in Utah in a midseason trade. I, I think there are very few NBA talking heads out there who truly understand how impactful that trade was. Maybe I, maybe I just didn't see it, but he has been everything the Jazz hoped he would be when he joined the franchise uh, from Cleveland in that midseason trade. It was uh, three years ago now, and... He has just really helped spur the Jazz. They were the top overall team in terms of overall record in the regular season last year. I know there's a bitter disappointment losing in the, se- uh, you know, yeah, the second round of the playoffs to the Los Angeles Clippers. But 
right now, the Utah Jazz are off to a 7-1 and start. They're in action later on tonight. And, of course, you'll hear all the pre-full uh, play-by-play coverage and post-game coverage here on your radio home of the Utah Jazz, the Zone Sports Network, beginning at 4.30 at the pregame show. They have a huge showdown in South Beach against the Miami, against the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler and his uh, teammates with Miami have been off to a very good start. They're 6-2 and two on the season. Uh, I am wondering if we're going to see Donovan Mitchell play in tonight's game. We also know that they have a back-to-back tomorrow against Orlando. That will be a 4 o'clock tip uh, here along the Wasatch front. I do wonder how they're going to handle things here because we do know at least uh, the early indications are that Mike Conley will not play back-to-backs this season. That's just something that's not going to happen. And we're going to uh, get to David Locke hopefully later on in today's show, his interview with DJ and PK. But I wanted to bring up a point he made yesterday. And it was a question, actually, he, he posed to DJ uh, about, okay, if you're going to sit Mike Conley on a back-to-back and Donovan Mitchell's ankle, you're being very cautious with this. Well, if you're going to potentially sit them out, do you do it together or do you stagger it? And it's a big question. And, Eric, I want you to weigh in here because he also brought up the point of they also want to make sure that Rudy Gobert stays fresh. Do you, in either one of these games, whether it's tonight's game against the Miami Heat, and it's the big showdown, and a more manageable win, it seems like, tomorrow against the Orlando Magic, would you stagger guys sitting out? So in this instance, maybe you play Donovan Mitchell tonight and let Mike Conley sit out and then flip it where Donovan Mitchell sits out tomorrow and Mike Conley plays. Or do you go with both guys sitting out t- tonight or tomorrow night and potentially also decide, hey, Rudy Gobert, we're going to give you a quote-unquote maintenance day, uh, uh, just a day off. How would you go about this, Eric? I feel like for the Heat, just because that's a very, you know, the goal for the Jazz at this point is no longer the regular season, the way I view it. The, the goal is to advance deep in the playoffs. The Heat are a real playoff team that mm-hmm. will provide a real playoff test. I think you need to play all your starters against the Heat. Okay. Back to back, you got yeah. the you got the magic. I think you can sit probably Mike Conley or Ru- or Donovan Mitchell or both and Rudy Gobert and still remain competitive with uh, the magic, although they've been playing well this year. Uh, but I'd much rather have kind of a everybody sits lost to the magic, um, but a win over the Heat because I believe the Heat provide more of a test for the end goal that the Jazz are going for, which is a championship. And the Heat are a championship level basketball team, so I think you need to play all your starters against them to get as much practice as you can. Because that's all the regular season is for the Jazz at this point, is just practice to get ready for the playoffs. And, okay, and see, Eric, I, I actually agree with you in this instance. If you're, if you're going to sit guys out, yeah, do it against the Magic. Because you can, I, I, it's, it's going to be more competitive, I feel like, for the Jazz reserves to go into that matchup and have an opportunity. And if they win both these games, they come home from this road trip 3-0. and I anticipated a 2-1 and record being a good road trip. They're playing three games. They played against Atlanta 1-1. And if they split these games tonight and tomorrow night, I think you've done a good job. I, but I, it's a very interesting debate. Do you stagger the guy sitting out or do you just do it all at once? And I, I agree with you here, Eric. I would like to see them go toe-to-toe with a fully loaded uh, Miami Heat team. And that's as things stand currently. We, we don't... We have not seen injury reports, at least I have not seen an injury report on who or what may be happening with regards to that Miami Heat game. But I would like to see a full uh, 
a fully loaded Utah Jazz team going up against a Miami Heat team that's fully loaded, led by Jimmy Butler, to get a real look. I'm with you. Right now, the regular season, they're just tuning up for the postseason. We've talked with Joe Ingles about it on DJ and PK, where he has said, yes, we we know what we're doing here in the regular season. It's, it's a tune-up for what ultimately we need to do in the postseason. It's 82 games. It's a long regular season. We all get that. But it's all meant for those hopefully four playoff series that you will play coming up next spring. But I do agree with you, Eric. If you're going to sit guys, do it against the Heat and let uh, some of the reserves have their opportunity, their time to shine. But uh, in the meantime, go out and play full strength against Miami Heat and really give us a look. I, I think this has been something about the Jazz so far this year is when they've played these big games. Think of like the Denver game. Nikola Jokic was absolutely cooking, then is lost at halftime after he knocked knees uh, with Rudy Gobert, and he didn't play the rest of the game. And Jazz never got a real look, it felt like, against any of the other big-name opponents they played this year because of different circumstances, guys sitting out, etc. I think tonight's game would be a really, really good look at one of the true powerhouses in the Eastern Conference against one of the powerhouses in the West. I fully believe in this Utah Jazz team. I think that they are motivated. I think they made necessary roster moves to make themselves that much better for a run in the playoffs. I hope they go full strength tonight, but we'll see how the training staff and Quinn Snyder opt to do things. And like I mentioned, you can hear pregame coverage beginning at 430 right here on the Zone Sports Network. Full play-by-play coverage. David Locke, Ron Boone on the call. Tip-off in that game down there in South Beach set for 5.30. All right, coming up here in just a moment, we'll get to one of our staples here on the Saturday show, and that is technical fouls. We are brought to you today by our friends down at Mountainland Supply, and we are live at JCW's in Provo. We've got free gear if you guys want to grab some jazz gear, jazz T-shirts, jazz hats. Love to see you guys stop by if you're on your way down to the BYU game, etc., Feel free to come on in. Get a great burger. The wings here are absolutely phenomenal. I'm actually a huge fan of their salads, but that just kind of goes back to my weight loss journey I've been on over the past year or so. But feel free to stop by. I'd love to see you guys. This is the Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network. From the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. And if you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Because that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show. As you just heard, it is time for technical fouls. And obviously this is where we talk about people in sports or just in just overall life doing things which are uh, stupid, plain and simple. Uh, just uh, how, we, how we operate here. And uh, if you're an NFL fan, this has been a week that's been full of these stories. So I think it might be NFL dominated one of these. Uh, so, Eric, I'm going to let you have first crack here because I do think it is the biggest story with regards to the NFL right now because it involves maybe their most high-profile player that's not named Tom Brady. Yes, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, a quick rundown on the situation. Okay. Uh, it, back in April or so in a press conference, he told reporters that he was vaccinated. He was immunized. He was immunized. Yes. And... That uh, basically a few days ago he came down with COVID. Now that's not so much a big deal. People who get the vaccine or or are immunized can still get COVID. That's Correct. that's a thing that can happen. That's not a big deal. But 
what came to light over the past few days is that Aaron Rodgers was, in fact, not immunized and not vaccinated at all. He had used a homeopathic solution, I believe was the term he used for it, to uh, help with warding off the covid and that did not work. He submitted that to the NFLPA. They said, no, you cannot do that. Uh, he still went on with participating in team activities. It was reported that he's been at team activities outside of the locker room, which you are restricted to do in the NFL under their current COVID uh, protocols. Correct. So... Uh, it's just a mess right now because he has basically blatantly lied to the league and now one of your best stars in honestly what was scheduled as the marquee game of this one of the marquee games of the season finally for the first time getting to see Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers go up against each other uh, he is now not playing in that game and Utah State quarterback Jordan Love will be starting but a mess all around, and who knows if he'll even be ready by next week because for, well, yeah. pl- for players that aren't vaccinated, the COVID rules are much more strict. And if you're vaccinated, you can get if you get two negative tests within five days, you can come back and play. But it moves to 10 days if you are a player that is not vaccinated. So there's a potential that he could miss next week as well if he doesn't start showing. Uh, negative tests by the end of a week it's just a mess yeah the 10-day window has him being cleared next Saturday and we all know it's this is Aaron Rodgers this dude could go out there on five minutes notice and probably put together a 300 yard performance and four touchdowns he's he's that good but you're right It, it seems like at bare minimum he misrepresented what he was doing with this if not outright lied to the league and it's it's just not a good look it is not a good look for the NFL and they, they're gonna have to figure something out here because it's 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 it seems like to me and Eric, you're you obviously you're an NFL devotee. It seems like to me that there are rules and then there are rules. If that makes sense, there's rules for people like Aaron Rodgers and there's rules for other guys. And I do wonder how the NFL is gonna handle all of this. Well, that's the thing. There, there hasn't been much punishment for players that have gone unvaccinated. Carson Wentz is unvaccinated. Kirk Cousins is unvaccinated. Cole Beasley is famously unvaccinated. There but are, they've all worn their masks in their press conferences and whatnot. Yes, but other than that, they are not restricted. They are not. There are not on-field penalties gotcha, for those yeah. players. I would doubt there would be any on-field penalties for Aaron Rodgers. I would assume there's going to be a pretty hefty fine levied against him. Uh, and that's I kind of where I think it. I think it's going to be more in the pocketbook because where he's going to get hit. So, yeah, it's just it's it's a very, very messed up situation involving Aaron Rodgers. And as you said, it was kind of a premier matchup, the Chiefs and the Packers, as you said. Uh, Mahomes versus Rodgers. We were all waiting to see that, but we're not going to get it. So, unfortunate in that circumstance. Other uh, technical foul here is uh, we're going down to Las Vegas and Las Vegas Raiders. Henry Ruggs III uh, got into a car accident. This uh, just an awful situation. Uh, he stayed on the scene, uh, was showed signs of impairment after this accident. He slammed into a car that killed a 23-year-old woman after the car exploded into a fireball and her dog. Uh, he was driving intoxicated, and apparently seconds before the accident, 
he was going 156 miles per hour. An awful situation. He's been charged with two felony counts uh, and could be facing a lengthy, lengthy prison sentence if he is uh, convicted of this. Just a scary, scary situation. But uh, this situation, Eric, it's it's it seems like it's so avoidable because we we've been hearing all week that most NFL teams, if not all of them, offer car services for their players. This just seems like something that could have been avoided, and the loss of life is just completely unimaginable in this circumstance. And Henry Ruggs, released by the Raiders in the aftermath of this accident, I'm not even going to begin to try and talk about the future of his playing career potentially because, as we mentioned, two felony counts against him. It sure seems like he's going to be going away for some time. Well, it's over. I mean, that if we're being frank here, sure. he, he will not play another snap in the NFL. Um it is just, to me, it just, you know, it makes me a little angry just because you are an athlete that makes millions of dollars in Uber, even in a city with big, that's big and with inflation like Las Vegas, you can get an Uber for 30 to $40. If you're a millionaire athlete, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it that I get into this trouble, that I get a DUI? And this is not just a Henry Ruggs problem. This is a national issue and people have just got to realize like this is so preventable it's so easy to get a ride from a friend or a a a ride service that's that's why they they exist some ride services give discounts later into the night uh for people for this exact reason to promote people using their service instead of driving yeah it's just a really really tough and tragic situation and and probably one of the biggest NFL tragedies that has happened over the past few years really I I was thinking back since oh and I don't even know like it's just so sad on so many levels yep. of course number one that a young lady lost her life and you know Henry Ruggs this was a guy that was dry he was the first receiver taken in the NFL draft a year ago he had his entire career ahead of him he was having a good year with Vegas starting to emerge as potential he was set up financially for him and his family for life and now that that's all gone yeah, just you're right. It's just a horrendous situation all the way around. And I, I will say one thing. I, I really appreciate Derek Carr's comments on the situation. He said, obviously, he is going to have a lot of people who, who are going to be hating on him. I'm going to try and love him. And I, I kind of appreciate that. Like These guys, they're, they're connected because they're teammates. He was obviously a first-round draft pick, et cetera. His life has been completely uh, just upended with all of this, and it's an awful, awful situation. But I, I can appreciate a guy like uh, Derek Carr saying, you know what, I'm going to try and love him up as best I possibly can. So maybe uh, some good in some circumstance can come out of this, but just to, you can't not see people lose their life, and it's just me. Scary, scary situation. All right, uh, we will come back on the other side. Going to be joined by Brian Brown, uh, my co-host on the Locked On Utes podcast. Get his thoughts on Utah's win over Stanford last night, and may delve into some other topics. I know Eric, you, you, and Brian are very close as well. We'll see what we can get in, what hijinks we can get into with the Brown Bear. We'll get to all of that coming up next, right here on the Saturday Show.